0: Welcome to Living Social Justice Podcast, an initiative of Common Ground Church and Common Good, where we explore our lifestyle response to topics of social justice. Our hope is that a growing number of Christ followers begin to individually and collectively live out justice,
1: creating a groundswell of positive change in our society. Welcome to another episode of our Living Social Justice Stories series. So, across Cape Town and particularly sitting in our common ground congregations, are men and women, old and young, who through the impact of the gospel on their lives are choosing to live differently. And in this series, we are trying to tell those stories. And today I have Kayla Tess Pattendon with me. Kayla Tess, thank you so much for joining me today and for giving up your time to share your story. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's great (laughs) to have you. And you said that I can call you Katie. Yes, that's um, totally fine. I'm going to call you Katie. Okay. Um, Katie, you're part of the Common Ground Constantinburg Congregation. Maybe just to start us off, tell us a bit about that story and how Mm. you came to be involved in that congregation. Cool.
0: So um, my husband and I have been at the Common Ground Constantiaburg Congregation for four or five years. Um, we actually made the crossover once my husband and I had become pregnant. M- me and my husband became pregnant before we got married. And that forms a huge part of, I suppose, what, what we minister to nowadays mm-hmm. as a couple and also as, as individuals that we're interested in. Um, and what happened was our previous church walked us through that journey. i um, very grateful to have them support us in that. Um, and then we realized that actually we'd been carried quite a lot and we needed to establish ourselves independently. We'd made mistakes, we'd received redemption and we'd repented and we're living in god's grace in the most incredible way um but we wanted to start to take ownership of our faith a little bit more especially as parents now knowing that it was our responsibility not to only care for our own faith but our child as well so we made the move over to common ground um seabrook pm originally and it was the most incredible year of of just realizing that Grace doesn't just transform you to receive, but also transforms you to give. Um, and we actually found ourselves in a space where we were excited to once again contribute in a ministry, as opposed to just sit in a congregation and and receive. Um, so an incredible, uh, incredible journey and an incredible uh, space to be. And we love being part of that community.
1: So how long ago was that?
0: It was like four four years ago. Yeah, based on my son's age, it would have been four. Yeah.
1: Okay, and now mm. you are a family of how many? We are a family of. No, we're family of we
0: are family of four, four. now. Sorry, guys, <laughs> it's because I want more children. You see, <laughs> so um, your oldest is four. My oldest is four yes. And your youngest is our youngest is one.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, so you are in the crazy phase. We are indeed. Okay, and you are a social worker by yes, our profession. That's correct. So tell us a bit about that. Why social work? Oh, so I
0: think for me it all started. I was I was like four or five years old, and distinctly remember experiencing. The or being confronted with the need in our country, um, through an ice cream. My family and I we were in Nice, or somewhere on holiday, and end of an incredibly great beach day. Went and got ice creams together. Was walking back to the car, and then was confronted with four little boys, similar age to me, broken clothing, you know, the the typical snot on their face you know you can see terror in certain people's eyes and as a four-year-old I remember just recognizing that they'd seen stuff that they shouldn't have by their age um, and they were asking for food and the only thing I had with me was my ice cream and I just remember feeling for the first time tugged to do something and funny enough I didn't give them well, I suppose it's not funny, but I didn't give them the ice cream. And it was because I became conscious conscious of what my family would think and what people, I suppose, who are more privileged and affluent, who I was surrounded by all the time, would think of me engaging with somebody like that. Um, so that was sort of the beginning of my thought around um, a lifestyle of of helping and then naturally you know going through high school you go through all the different options medicine oh no my grades aren't good or and then went to a careers evening at uct in my matric year and just felt so called and pulled towards social work as a a profession as um one of my very good mentors now then stood up and explained what it was all about um and haven't turned back to have loved it it's been a um a vessel, if anything, um, that allows me to to minister and allows me to bring bring in God um, in a a very Mm -hmm. practical um, and and service-orientated way, which is great.
1: So for all of us that aren't social workers, Mm -hmm. even for us that aren't social workers, Mm -hmm. the social work profession Mm -hmm. has this kind of stereotypical picture of Mm -hmm. just being overwhelmed Mm -hmm. by Mm -hmm. the brokenness of our systems. And the complexity mm. of the problems that you face and mm. almost the inability to solve those problems. And yeah. um, how have you engaged with that as mm. a social worker and particularly as a Christ follower? Yeah. How have you made sense of that? Yeah, look,
0: it's, it's something that, I, that I'm that i still battling with. And I think anybody who's in a vocational space will recognize the need to, to always battle with it and always focus on trying to put in healthy self-care mechanisms and routines. Um, I think for me i have i I find joy in my work, so there are certain spaces where I will where I almost um isolate myself and make a little bit of a selfish a selfish time for example, something like resource development that doesn't require lots of um communication or dealing with the issues in sort of a confrontational way that helps me because I feel like I'm, I'm producing something that will be beneficial but it's not emotionally draining. Okay. So creating space and time for that sort of thing. I mean, I'm very intentional about going for supervision myself. Supervision is, I suppose, just counseling for people in that space. So where you actually intentionally debriefing yeah, on yeah what exactly so once on a month i have discussed. to go and debrief right. um and then I, I think also just trying to leave work at work which mm. i'm terrible at doing so it's a huge developmental space for me and i actually left with a little bit of burnout at the end of last year which is why i've had to be more structured about putting things in place um but when i do go home and i do effectively leave work at at work um then my family ends up being quite a th- quite a therapeutic thing okay. you know engaging and teaching my child who at age four can do what they should do developmentally is really great and I feel quite inspired right. at, at the possibility of, of other children being able to do that okay. and then also being intentional about spending time with Christ I mean yes. it's something that I don't necessarily have time to do every morning but within my day there's there are always little sort of pockets okay. where I try to bring Christ into it even if it is with my kids knocking down my door and me being on the toilet and saying Lord can you just meet with me here for two minutes you know that's the practicality of of life but I mean the Lord meets me there which is amazing
1: okay Mm. so tell us a bit about the areas that you are most passionate about Mm. I'm sure children (laughs) is one of those but I know it's not the only one tell us a bit about the areas that you particularly want to impact
0: so um Yeah, children definitely. Um, I think specifically recognizing that we are working with a, a generation of kids who are being raised by people who suffered through apartheid and there's lots of consequence around that um illiteracy is one of them from a parent um not being able to find work you know it's it's a domino effect okay. um so working with children but also recognizing that they're within a family and be and wanting to try to bring healing and to restoration to unit. that family mm. unit um i was just talking to a very good friend of mine at a supervision meeting 2 weeks ago and she was saying she's changing from working just with children in child protection uh, sector to recognising that kids are very well supported when they're in the system, well as much as we can considering our resources, but often then what happens is the parent is given this list of responsibilities or this list of requests and um, By the magistrate And then said Five months Come back And you need to accomplish it And and parents actually Don't have any support Um, They don't They're not equipped to do that I mean a mum being told That she needs to go And exit the prostitution space Without any help To do that Is It's virtually impossible And inevitably Then what happens Mm -hmm. Is the mom comes back And the child gets taken away anyway So it is this really vicious cycle Of We're supporting kids But we really need to support The parents too um, To
1: create sort of a yeah just holistic unity and reunification um wow so I mean that's just one area is Mm. kind of as you broach the injustices around Mm. children Mm. and what they're facing that Mm. you opening the door on the past and the realities of Mm. like I said the complexity of the system Mm. but you've also spoken about spatial injustice and I know I know Mm -hmm. you as a family have moved to live Mm. on the Cape Flats tell us a bit about that how how you've uh, yeah, so um, I,
0: I grew up um in what space we would call the Cape Flats. And then my husband and I, again, I suppose consequential of the way that we ended up being a family, needed to depend our, on our family resource-wise. So we okay. moved back into that house. Um, and that house is in Zikaflay, which is sort of wedged between Lavender Hill and Grassy Park and Lotus River, which are areas that a lot of our friends – haven't engaged in, um, or won't even go into. Go to visit, and um, we love it. I mean, we've we've experienced such a sense of of a dwelling, um, you know, trying to get to know our neighbours, um, trying to engage with the people who are walking in and out of the community all the time. Um, but it's been such an incredible space to be in because when people do come and visit us, we're indirectly challenging everything they understand about the people in the communities that are there. Um, and for them to know that we're part of it and, and comfortable, we don't even have to say something. It challenges things with, without any words. Mm. Um, and it's been amazing. It's been fantastic to challenge some of our stuff um, because you know, even though we are addressing it all the time, we still have all of the stuff that we need to deal with. And I think one of the biggest things has been recognizing that dwelling is not comfortable, um and sometimes it requires us being interrupted um and there've been occasions where um you know I've wanted to say no to something or I've felt uncomfortable because it doesn't feel culturally mine and I've had to just put that aside because it's part of building community and recognizing okay. that my agenda doesn't always need to be pushed especially when I feel like I'm a little bit of a a visitor in in a culture that I'm not Necessarily from, but I'm making an effort to be part of. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, just an example. Mm. Sorry, I know I'm talking a no, lot. That's great. it's great. <laughs> it's great. Keep um, talking. One of one of our um, now friends. His name is Brian. He lives in the Lambda Hill community, and he walks in um, every day to try and find work. And he's got two kids. And we initially the relationship just started with us giving him a lift in and out of the community. Um, and then, you know, in the car, we started to get to know him and that's when it became fantastic, but also very uncomfortable because when you are confronted with people's need or when you're confronted with somebody who can't just say that they're good or they're fine, like we all can say, um, it's, you are immediately confronted with the need and then you're like, oh, so you're not fine. What, what do I do with that? Yes. What do I do when somebody actually says to me that they're struggling, you know, do I just shrug it off, or do I engage engage, a, ag- engage with him and with God about how I respond? Um, and I think there's been certain spaces where we've been quite strict in saying that we can't respond because a lot of a lot of his needs are a lot greater than we what we can provide currently. But um, one thing that we have been able to provide him with is a safe space for his kids to play. Um, and in terms of dwelling, we've been really intentional about making sure that our kids are home so that they can play with these kids. Okay. And it has been I mean, kids are fantastic in terms of just making you realize that a lot of the stuff that we struggle with has been sort of socially... We've been socially constructed to think that way. Um, and my boys look forward to when Brian's kids come over. Um, they look forward to the fact that they completely make a mess and, <laughs> you know, break things. And, you know, everything is new to them, so it's an exp- it's an exper- experiment. Mm, um, mm. And for me to know that my kids think that is normal really does um, capture the essence of dwelling for me. Um, The essence of becoming part of a community and expecting
1: some of that messy stuff to just form part of your everyday. I love that you're discovering that as a family that it's not so one of the things we've spoken about is just integral mission where we're Mm. not trying to separate out Sunday is when I do my faith Mm. and um, helping others is Mm. what I do on this this day Mm. at this time that actually Our faith journey, what the gospel has done to our mm. hearts, is it changes how we live for sure, twenty four yeah. seven, yeah. and and we're figuring that out mm. every moment of every day. We can't separate the two. Mm. Yeah. Um, d- just talk to us a bit more about relationships. You've spoken mm. about how yeah. relationships are so key. Mm. So even just with Brian, yeah, it starts with the relationship yeah. and. And there's no kind of blueprint or easy yeah, answers. Yeah, no, for sure, there's not. Um, <laughs> so how does that? How does that Yeah, look? I
0: think I think for us, we realized that the idea of helping, um, or the idea of helping effectively um, and uplifting somebody and empowering someone felt too overwhelming. So the first step for us was just to say hello, mm. um, and it sounds so silly. But in the same way that your relationship with your best friend starts with a greeting, um, that was what we needed to do. And like I said, naturally you reach a point where you realize that this person can't just pretend that everything is okay. Um, and so the relationship then sort of takes the sharp turn where you realize that, you know, if you're going to take the next step, there's going to have to be some sort of practical help that... Okay. Is part of it. Um, I think that listening has become a huge part of, of that journey and recognizing that it's not necessarily our responsibility to fix everything. Um, but naturally, what happens is when you get to know someone, um, their battle becomes your own. Mm. Um, and again, I think of my kids, you know, if something happens to them, my instinct is to naturally want to fix it. And I, I can only achieve that through becoming friends with people that sense of wanting to make things okay for them. Um, so it is it is difficult. And I mean, it, with, with listening, there's a difference between listening and immediately responding and listening effectively. And the one thing that I learned, I, I learned this sort of the hard way, um, we were doing some community research a little while ago as an organization and wanted to implement some after-school programs and found that even though the community was keen. We had everything in place structurally. We had the resources, put them in place. Nobody came. And we sat there and we were like, what's going on here? Th- they wanted this. Our research, our focus group suggested it. And then went back to revisit it and realized that we actually hadn't listened properly. And they said they were keen, but um, their concern was getting their kids to the programs. Um, and long story short, it ended up being that kids were getting knocked over crossing the M5. And so they oh. weren't going to send their kids to the schools for after school programs if they weren't to be allowed to put in their community so the end at the end of the day we couldn't run our programs and the the need changed to addressing the safety of their kids when it came to road safety and pedestrian safety Um, and one thing will lead to another, and they will eventually come to our programs, but we have to respond to what they perceive as a need, first and foremost, which was the safety of their kids as far as pedestrians are
1: concerned. Wow, I love that story. Mm. I think it just highlights exactly what you're saying, of just Mm. needing to listen Mm -hmm. and slow things down and not assume that we have the solutions Mm. for people's problems. Mm. Um, At Common Good, one of our values is Saubona, and just that we take the time to look someone in the eyes mm. and say I see you and, yeah. and, and and that is actually when you're trying to um, put that into practice yeah. it, it really does force you to slow, slow sure. things down you've got to get out of programs and into relationship mm. Mm. and actually choose to listen choose yeah. to see someone for who they yeah. are as a person and, and they come with a history yeah. they come with a no, the background sure. they come with family they come mm. with
0: um, and something I've noticed is that you know we might think that we struggle but people who have always got a mindset of being subordinate or being inferior to white South Africans also struggle. And what I mean by that is, it took me six months to get Brian to, tell, to to address me by name. He kept calling me madame and my husband, Sue, or boss. Um, so for them to open up to us is also difficult. So I have to sometimes ask him how he's doing or ask him about his family or his history three or four times because he wants to give me the right answers. He doesn't want to give me the authentic answers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I suppose, is just... You know, he perceives me to have power, and so he wants to please that power. You know, to get whatever it is that he ultimately needs at the end of the day. And our biggest discussion with him has been, "You can be authentic with us, and we're not going to withhold whatever we've promised you." Um, And that's great because I think we've learned a little bit about how God loves us in that way as well. We can do whatever; we can be authentic with God, and He will still not withhold His -hmm. love for us because it's unconditional. And it's been really interesting seeing Him slowly but surely understand that as the trust is built for sure yeah Mm. i mean this a few weeks ago he got angry with me for the first time and he thought i was gonna you know get angry at him back but i actually had a little bit of a celebration inside (laughs) of me because another sign of authentic relationship is when we are able to express Express our dissatisfactions and Mm. that was great because then i started learning about him for the first time it wasn't just what i perceived to be him
1: amazing Mm. what does it look like where you've made this intentional decision to Move into a community like mm. you said that w- isn't the same kind of culture mm. that you grew up mm. with, but you intentionally trying to build community mm. and raise your family yeah. there. What does that look like day to day? So you've spoken about living mm. wage, you've spoken mm. about um, um, is it Gosa? Yeah. How are you engaging in in, in different yeah. ways?
0: So I think the first thing has been to recognize that the way that we do things should be secondary to how other people do things so for example something as simple as speaking english we just assume that people can speak english and a lot of them do but they would prefer to speak another language so um my husband and i have just enrolled in um a an easy course to speak in class we're doing it alternatively so he does one week then I do one week so that we're intentional about communicating and, and, and sharing the learnings of the previous okay. week um, so that's been a good one language and I think sometimes even learning colloquialism which makes me feel kind of silly and kind of stupid sometimes because you know here's this white girl trying to to speak you know your typical cape colored talk, <laughs> but even though they laugh, they appreciate it so you're making um, an effort yeah, that I'm making an effort, and they culture. love the fact that that I can humiliate myself comfortably around them. I think, again, that's also a good sign of relationship when you can joke and you can sort of make mistakes and be funny and people are accepting of that and just realize that it's part and package of who you are and part and package of what you bring.
1: Um, What were the other things that you mentioned? And just living wage with your... Oh, yes, yeah. So we've
0: got an incredible nanny um, and she enabled me to work, which I thank her for daily um, but she also is the most incredible support to my, my little ones as they grow up as well so something that we discuss with her annually um, is what she needs financially and um, and again, that that's also been quite a difficult conversation to have every year because she at first would say that she was OK with everything because it was based on just I need something for today. I need bread on my table. So if that means that it's half of what I theoretically think I'm worth, then I'm going to take it. And as the years have, have gone by, she's become a little bit more deliberate about saying, actually, she needs this or she needs that. Um, simple things like transport. If she is late, it's it's not a question of, oh, why are you late in a punitive manner? It's actually, what what was wrong with the system? Why did you not get to work on time? How can we work through this? Something that we're doing in our community. We live on a peninsula and the closest taxi rank is in Grassy Park. So th- there's like a 15, 20 minute walk to our property and the taxis refuse to go down that route because it's not enough business for them so myself and and my husband have been going to the various houses in the community and asking people to fill in a survey to see whether there's a need for some sort of bus service or something and our idea is that we're eventually going to take it to the department and request that there is some sort of public transport route there because we've done the math there's at least 35 women who walk into the community for nanny services, cleaning services, whatever it may be. So that's just another way of becoming aware of their need and I suppose adapting it as your own um, and really trying to to make it a little bit easier for them.
1: Okay. Um, talk to me about advocacy. So that mm-hmm. to me speaks of advocacy mm-hmm. where you're using the influence and the networks yeah. that you have to to speak out for mm-hmm people who can't necessarily um, yeah, address those kind of sure. issues or injustices. Um, have you seen that kind of advocacy happening in the community? Is, is it changing? Are we seeing yeah. community development mm. where I think people who can are advocating for people who can't? It's difficult
0: because... The moment at which we became aware of the fact that advocacy is a lifestyle is the moment where we recognized, started to see change. Um, I think that we tend to box things, box our commitments, and this lifestyle of dwelling and advocacy has become a part of who we are and a part of the way that we live. And that has resulted in transformation, where we didn't just say, okay, between 2 and 4 p.m., we are going to go and... Do X, Y, Z for this cause. There's definitely value in that. But the moment that we started seeing it transform our lives, it then became something that transformed our community. Okay. Um, our community is... is, it's. I mean, look, th- the fact that everybody lives behind their, their big walls is a huge... Boundary in itself. Um, so I suppose also redefining success is is an essential part of that process. I mean, for us, just having a relationship with our neighbour who wasn't interested in at the starting point was a huge success. Um, something else that's become quite relevant in terms of recognizing successes when people eventually come and visit us or when people come to our centers at the organization that I work for. We're based at Cape Flat Schools. And the first question we get whenever we train volunteers is, oh, but what are you going to do to... Um, assure my safety and um, for us knowing that someone knows that we can't actually assure their safety um, but also you'll be surprised that your safety isn't as threatened as you perceive it to be when you go into these communities and then to see them at our center and now see them bringing five other friends and seeing them um, build really genuine relationships with the kids that they're working with is a major success so a lot of the the successes I wouldn't say that we've reached a point where we are uh, as a nation or as a a city communally developing, but I think that if you were to ask people for their individual stories, then you would see that we are. Um, But it's just happening through relationship, not through macro change. Yes.
1: Um, Yes. So one of the things you said, which I just loved, you said our responsibility, I think you're talking about you and your husband, Mm. our responsibility to normalize dwelling, Mm. justice, compassion, and Ubuntu in our home And children, and I've loved seeing that on the justice journey that we Mm. facilitate as well. Is that kind of discomfort where people are aware that there are injustices and there are things that are wrong that need to be Mm. righted, and you almost want to be told what to do and just go and do that to kind of that's the quick fix. Then I can tick the box. I've done something Mm. um, about whatever's making me feel uneasy. Mm. Whereas actually, what's really necessary is to is to sit with those discomforts Mm. and um Mm. questions and and really let it ruminate into your heart what is the discipleship journey here what is what is god maybe trying to teach me what are Mm. my um, prejudices or preconceived ideas and what's the discipleship journey for me and i i've loved watching people go on that journey where Mm. often the big step forward is realizing there's there's change in me that needs yeah, to happen for rather sure. than change out there yeah. that i need to do yeah. or i need to make that change happen for that person mm-hmm. rather god's got a discipleship journey sure. happening in me and mm. um, what has that journey been like for you as an individual yeah. and your faith and discipleship
0: yeah it's a it's a journey that's for sure um and by no means complete i think the, the relationship having a relationship with, with, with Christ is is essential in terms of addressing this sort of thing um, because you number one he, he's the only authority that I feel like I can really be um, accountable to um, because there is so much corruption and there is so much so much issue with those who we traditionally would look up to for guidance um, so when I feel the Lord's prompting, um, I have full confidence in what He is telling me to do. Um, I think, yeah, being a parent is great in terms of that as well. I think that as a parent, I've resonated with a lot of who God is and who Christ is as the Father. Okay. Um, and His heart for relationships and His heart for people has come alive in that in that sense. I mean, just this Sunday, we were on our way to church and... Um, Saw a gentleman lying on the side of the street, um, on Kendall Road. Very open, very public, and nobody was was assisting him. Um, we drove on, and then the Lord said to me, um, "Are you really going to walk past that child of mine, um, or are you going to be the Good Samaritan?" So the parable of the Good Samaritan came to mind, and I said to my husband, um, "Love, he's still in my heart. We need to turn around." And we turned around, went to him, and. Um, my boys got out of the car with us. We met him, and his name was Heinrich. He had a dog with him as well. And we got to pray with him. And he, look, it, it's, it, what what I suppose your your traditional South African would say is, oh, he's just drunk. And yes, he was just drunk. But the thing is that my relationship with Christ and the way that he perceived him as a child transformed the way that I saw him in that moment. Right. So my husband and I picked him up, took him to the shade, um, got him some water and a few other practical and then we sat and prayed with him um, but we met with God and we met with somebody else um, in that process so I don't even know how to answer your question I think that what I'm trying to say is that I'm constantly challenged and I, I'm constantly motivated to rethink how I do things but for me knowing God is the point of reference within that and if I didn't have him I don't think I would be able to to address these things because I have no point of reference
1: Okay, just finally, mm-hmm. Katie, um, if you are aware that there are people listening into what you're saying mm. now and there are Keptonians and mm. there are Christ followers, if you were to give them one thing mm. that you'd encourage mm. them to to do or to consider doing yeah. as a next step, what would that one thing be? Oh,
0: just one, hey? Just <laughs> one. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I will say start with relationships and be intentional about listening. Um, to both God and the recipient Um, and keep going knowing that it is going to be difficult, inconvenient and uncomfortable. I think the way that we perceive helping needs to change Um, and I think like you said, we need to be happy with sitting with that discomfort Um, and in saying that knowing that we have a God who understands and a God who sits with all of our discomfort and I find that very very um, helpful, knowing that he can handle it all, sure. so I just pass it on to him. Um, it seems like such an intangible thing, but to to make it more tangible when I say start with a relationship, I suppose it is just saying hello, acknowledging somebody who you ordinarily wouldn't um, and networking with within those spaces. so once you've greeted the man on the street. It's not just hello, enjoy your day or hello, how are you doing? I'm fine. Push past that. Push past that mm. sort of synthetic fake front that we put on. Um, and when you are confronted with the difficulty, um, be willing to engage with it. Be willing to listen and be willing to not just respond out of a need to fix, but
1: respond out of a need to want to get to know and love and care for that specific person. Wow. Mm. So when I when I hear your story, I think the thing that, most provokes me is um, seeing a woman and a family mm. who have intentionally been willing to cross previous boundaries yeah. and uh, choose not to see those boundaries mm. and actually cross them, mm. engage mm. engage with people, see people as mm. people and mm. develop relationships. And I think if we as cross followers could all be doing that actively mm. and intentionally, um, I think we would start to see yeah. the change and the the community development Mm. that we Mm, uh, of us long for so thank you so much for your time Mm, thank you for your courage in your life and your story and Mm. for sharing it and um and all the best
0: can i say one more thing (laughs) (laughs) the last thing i just want to say is um i think that it's a lot easier for people to begin those relationships or, or begin engaging through the existing programs and mediums that are available i mean a lot of people have said to me okay, so do you just want me to go and cross the M5 and stand on the street, street corner? No, that's not what I'm asking you to do. What I'm asking you to do is assess what programs and opportunities are available for you to take that first step. Um, so whether it is through one of Common Ground's existing initiatives, or whether it's through um, another organization like the organization I work for. we I work for the Life Matters Foundation. Sorry, little mm-hmm. advertisement. Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> um, and for me, it's been incredible to see people come to training, come with those concerns, and then... Two, three weeks later, sort of say, I don't even know, I was worried. Um, mm. So, to utilize the avenues that are available because otherwise it is overwhelming and it can seem unapproachable and it can seem like the problem is bigger than you. Um, so, use what's available to you as your starting step and then the Lord will prompt you to do other for things out of thing. that. They sure. will, yeah. Great. Mm. Thanks so much.
1: No Thanks problem.
0: Thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our channel, Living Social Justice. On Apple Podcast and SoundCloud. You can also find more resources on our website, commongood.org.za, including our Justice Journey courses, devotional content, and volunteer opportunities. Bye for now.